0: you ready. Welcome to Positive Adoption, where you can find adoption, foster care, and trauma-informed parenting all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker. But more than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos from hard places. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Positive Adoption, a Coffee Break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to Positive Adoption. We are going to cover our fourth and final in this series, The Brain and Fear. So first, I'm going to start with my personal update. I actually went to a conference this weekend, and it was in my neighborhood, which was great. I really literally could have walked there, the Living Your Dreams Conference. And it's the first thing like that that I've participated in since March. Well, since even before that, because I was moving at the beginning of March. So it was really nice. I got to see some friends that I haven't seen for a long time. And I got to hear a lot of great teaching, a lot of information, and just to be able to hang out with other women. Connections are so important in our lives. Connection with God first, and then connection with our family And then connection with other people, friends, you know, and it's, that's been one of the drawbacks. And I think that that's beginning to change and people are beginning to do things together. But that's been one of the drawbacks of the coronavirus is just not being able to have those connections. And even though I'm an introvert, you know, by the end of the day, I was just kind of like, whoa, this is, you know, I need time to recover. I still just so much enjoyed it. And that's one of the, don't want to go off on a tangent there, but that's another one of the fallacies of introverts. In fact, I was talking to several of the ladies who were in leadership at this conference and they were all introverts. So that's just one of the fallacies. Um... Holly Girth wrote a book recently. I'm not sure if I've mentioned that. That's one of the books I read recently is The Powerful Purpose of an Introvert. I think I got that title right by Holly Gerth. And she talks about those fallacies about introverts. They're often great speakers and leaders and writers. Okay, but I'm getting off topic there. Okay, our community update So I did actually check our stats and those kinds of things. And um, we do have people from Moldova still listening. But one of the, the things that has changed is the most listened to podcast series right now is What Do You Believe About Your Child? So I think that is great because what we believe about our child is how we, it will really inform how we respond to them and how we treat them. So if you missed that series, you can go back and listen to that one. And if you have any, you know, a comment, maybe one of the series has helped you more than others, and please just let me know. You can email me at positiveadoption at gmail.com. Or if there's something you want to ask me, I would be happy to answer you. Okay, so we're going to talk about the downstairs brain, life in the downstairs brain. I'm gonna start with maybe a series of things you've said to your children and see if you have gotten this response from them. You know, something simple like, it's time to get up and eat breakfast. Could you please pick up your socks? No, the math equation isn't solved correctly. Try it again. Maybe you ask or you correct, and in response, the child retorts, "Why are you yelling at me? You always yelling. You are always yelling at me." I did a whole article on this on thewholehouse.org. Yelling and yelling is actually yelling and yelling, and it's all about living in the downstairs brain. So. So maybe you're talking to them in a normal tone or even a nice, sweet, sappy tone and you get that response or that's stupid. So what's happening is these kids are filtering what you're saying differently than the rest of us are. They are operating in their downstairs brain, which means They may be seeing things through the lens of hypervigilance. They're in survival mode. Noises sound louder. The amygdala, which resides in the downstairs brain, is hard at work looking for danger. Its switch gets stuck in the on position, leaving the child in a constant adrenaline-fueled state of fight or flight or freeze. And the connected child has this to say about it. Chronic fear is like a schoolyard bully that scares children into behaving poorly. So maybe the behavior that you're seeing is because of fear. Pushing them around, bullying them. Think about when you feel fear. Can you respond logically can you think through something with your executive function? I know I can't. <laughs> I struggle with that. So, here's just something to remember. Even if the chi- the children or child is not in any actual danger, the child does not feel safe, and in some ways felt safety is more important than genuine safety. When a child feels safe, the primitive downstairs brain lets its guard down and allows other portions of the brain to operate. Higher learning can occur when a child feels safe. He can understand reason, logic, and choices. When children come from traumatic beginnings, their primitive brain remains the driver until the child feels safe and I can remember just being so you know puzzled perplexed at why my children were responding to things the way that they were I'm thinking okay maybe you think this yourself you know they're in a house with food they have a bed they have toys to play with why are they still melting down and hiding under the bed Or why are they responding to regular, normal, happy things with fear or anger? A lot of times it comes out as anger. And we're trying to figure out where that anger is coming from. And for some of these kids who have had trauma, anger is their baseline. It's the way that they protected themselves. And that's the way that they still are living. And you know, you can look around you in the world and you can see a lot of people who have a baseline of anger. And it's, you know, it's disheartening. And it, it is perplexing, you know, just to go out in public and go to the grocery store. And with the tensions, I don't know where you live and how how many restrictions have led up. But, you know, even if you have to go to the grocery store and you're trying to stand six pu- feet, I can talk six feet apart from someone and you're wearing your mask and you're doing all these things and somebody lashes out at somebody else in anger and that's fear, you know, it's fear. So the next time your child who maybe has a capital letter syndrome or doesn't, or maybe he had trauma in his background or doesn't, all of a sudden it's just anger, anger, anger. And that could be it. It could be fear. And another response could be just shutting down. You know, I like I said at the beginning, I'm an introvert. And I don't like to do things wrong. I like to do things right. I like to follow the rules. And I can remember being in grade school. And I had I had a very, very sore throat at school. And I just... That's to me, that's wrong. You don't get sick. You know what I mean? She's just, and I, I, I would answer questions. I like the studious part of school, but I did not want to tell my teacher that I had a sore throat. So I finally got up the guts to go tell her. And I remember, I mean, I can still feel it. My face is turning red now, just feeling that. Like my face was all red. My neck was all red. And I went up to the front, Mrs. Johnson, my throat really hurts. And she was so compassionate. I think that she had noticed that I wasn't feeling well. She's like, well, we're going to send you to the nurse. And I got to the nurse's office and I sat there for a little bit. And she looked at me and asked me what was going on. And I was crying. And by the time I I could get out the words to tell her what was going on, I was yelling, which is not like me at all. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not a yelling, but I was yelling. I don't want to go home. I'm okay. Don't send me home. She sent me home, by the way. (laughs) So I'm not sure, you know, what my fear was. up. My fear was of not doing the right thing and being a problem for someone else. So think about that too. Like The way that kids process things. And the way that some adults process things is not always through logic. We just have this assumption that everybody operates from a base of logic. And we don't, or they don't, or your kids don't. But I, before I run out of time, I wanted to give you some practical tips. So we want to get our kids and ourselves, if we're struggling with this, into the upstairs brain. And it's made up of the cerebral cortex and its various parts, particularly the ones directly behind your forehead. Unlike your more basic downstairs brain, the upstairs brain is more evolved and can give you a fuller perspective on your world. It's sophisticated as opposed to primitive. And you can find out a lot more information about that from the book, The Whole Brain Child. So many explanations in there and conversations and examples, things that you can walk your kiddos through. So this is where the creative process lives in your upstairs brain. Imagining, thinking, planning, logic lives here too. So some practical suggestions. How do we help a child integrate the upstairs brain when he demands to stay downstairs? First, remember your child's brain is a work in progress, and maybe yours is too. The upstairs brain is still developing. It won't happen overnight. To start, you can help him climb the stairs once and check it out. I mean, metaphorically, not in your house. The more often he does, the more used to it he will get. And the more he uses it, the more it will grow. It's kind of like working out. You know, I went to work out this morning and my body was complaining because it didn't want to do it. But once I got into the workout, my body's like, oh, okay, I'm used to this. We do this all the time. That's what we need to do. I'll feel better afterwards. So here's a suggestion. Give him assignments that require him to use the upstairs brain. Your child needs problems to solve. He's going to encounter plenty in his everyday life. One of my daughters, Amory, was telling me, she said, Mom, I use that phrase that you used to say to us all the time. Use your own brain. Use your own brain. And it was simple solutions. It was like maybe they forgot where they put the Crayola scissors because they didn't put them back where they belonged. Mom, can you come find the scissors for me? Uh, Why don't you think about it? Figure it out yourself. Or how am I going to cut this piece of paper in half if I don't have scissors? Well, that's a hard one. You might want to find the scissors. And what I'm talking about when I say give your child a problem to solve, I'm not talking about world peace. I'm talking about simple problems that they can solve with their own brain with a little bit of effort. There needs to be a little bit of effort in there. And I'm sorry if you're hearing my stomach growl. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. I'm going to give you another example. My son, who loves to write, he just wouldn't admit it publicly. So keep that to yourself, okay? He loves story prompts. I mean, he absolutely loved them. Even as a high school student, he loved these story prompts. So we did a semester of them. Just part of our morning every day, a few times a week, and I would write the prompt on the whiteboard, and he, I would set a timer, and he would write the rest of the story. When he got stuck in a rut, which he did, and everyone died at the end of each story, I, you know, I kind of put my foot down. said, you know what? You're a great writer. I love your stories. Could you work on doing a different ending? Uh, And I love his adventure story. So I just did a yes sandwich. Did you notice that? I did that with him. So something positive, the correction, and then something positive. So he did. He worked on that. No one ever lived happily ever after, but they lived. So I'm going to finish up with just a few things. Kids have so little time to be creative anymore. They have soccer practice. That doesn't replace the need for creative play. They have dance. They have all these other things. And I'm not saying those things are bad or wrong. But here are some things that you can do. Give your children free time to play. Give them things to do, like here's some Legos. Here's some paper. Here's some Play-Doh. Here's some crayons. Here's an art kit. Here's some paint. Here are some things that you can do. And then ask them questions. How did you build that? Tell me about it. How do you think you can solve that problem? What could you do differently? What could you do to make your day easier tomorrow? And that one I added just because sometimes kids get stuck in those ruts like killing everybody in the story. Maybe the rut is every morning they're stressed because they don't know where this is, they don't know where that is, and they're blaming mom and dad. They can't get it all together. What could you do? Have them think about it and not when they're stressed. Don't ask them in the morning when they're stressed and they can't get it all together. Ask them when they're not stressed. What kind of things can you do differently? All right. So, like I said, just remember these questions cannot be asked in the middle of a meltdown. You're going to have to make those opportunities when things are calm and happy. It's tempting. To slip away and do something else, like the dishes, I know. But take advantage of the quiet to connect with your child and watch him work in his upstairs brain. Last thing, fear is a powerful dictator. It rules the child without love, logic, or reason. It's easy to look at the behavior as willful disobedience. I know I have. But for us adoptive foster parents or kids with capital letter syndromes, we have to help our children rewire their brains. First, we have to rewire ours. If we see these behaviors as brain issues instead of behavior issues, we can begin to help our child, even if what the child believes sounds ridiculous to us. Okay? So that's the end of this series, and I will start a new series. I'm still kind of thinking about that. But I thank you for joining me today, and like I have said on every episode, there's a whole chapter on fear and the brain, and I've been reading some sections of it here on this series, and how to have peace when your kids are in chaos for adoptive and foster parents, which is a handbook. It's a handbook that when you buy the handbook, you don't have to read it straight through. I suggest you start at least with the first chapter, but the other chapters you can say, hey... My kid is having a problem with fear. I'm going to read that chapter. Or I'm thinking about learning about attachment. I need to learn it. So have the basics of attachment. So all of these um, chapters don't have to be read in order. And I went way over my time limit. So I am sorry. And I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Positive Adoption. Make sure you subscribe on the wholehouse.org to receive your gift of five things, a tiny handbook for foster and adoptive families, and receive a monthly newsletter plus updates when new books or courses are released. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, Spotify, or YouTube, and leave a review so others can find positive adoption and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send an email to me at positiveadoption at gmail.com and follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Whole House and Twitter at Cath Guire. Thanks for listening to the show.